0: Uh, using a side lane around uh, what looked like a This is the Domestic, presented by Watching Sideway.
1: It sure is. This is The Domestics presented by Black Sheep Cycling Apparel. I'm Mike Tomolaris. It's so good to have you join us for another fresh edition of the world's greatest podcast, wherever you're listening. Well, I hope you're enjoying yourself because we are. It's Cycling Central right now. It's the Tour de France. There's so much happening around the world of cycling, and it's so great to have you along. Well, uh, we've got ourselves Matilda, who's back on uh, Terra Firma. She's back in Australia. Uh, tell Tell us about your day. Tell us about your last 48 hours since we last spoke.
2: Well, my day, Mike, uh, started one hour ago at 4:15 a.m. So probably, probably a bit, you guys have probably had a bit more exciting day than I have. But uh, yeah, now I'm back in Australia, which is nice to be on home soil. And yeah, I've just been trying to consume as much as the tour as possible. I feel like we need a few, and the tour is going to have a, a few down days. I thought tr- today would be a bit of a transition day, but. You know, there's too many teams that haven't had a win yet. So at the moment, it looks like every stage is going to be fireworks. The and, and
1: one team that's really stood out for me, and maybe we can talk about this later on, is Astana. Now, Astana, I don't think it finished in the top 10. Not one rider has finished in the top 10 since the tour started. What does that tell me? Well, I
0: dare not
1: ask. But where are you, Hollywood? Oh, I'm glad you are Not me, Hollywood. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the star clean now, that's why they're not winning, but anyway, I am in Imperia, and uh, I had to have the other day off because I had sore shoulders from carrying you, Mike, but I'm back, I've had a day off, so I'm back, I rode the to Chapresa today in 38 degrees, and I am feeling fantastic, dressed in yellow, ready to go.
1: Now, I know that part of the world. It's a beautiful part of the world. It's where the uh, Milan-San Remo finishes along the coastline there in Liguria. Uh, Tell us how beautiful it is. I know how beautiful it is, but um, Uh, just tell the viewers. Paint a picture for us, Hollywood.
0: uh, It was magnificent. We rode up there, and I had goosebumps because Milan-San Remo is always my... One of my favourite classics. It's the best last 15Ks of any race, in my opinion. I love it. And it was so good. We stopped at the graffiti post where it says Cipressa. We recorded a music video for a song I've got coming out with my mate, Hoton here in Italy. And uh, we had a great day. And it was beautiful. I took lots of videos. And I had a wonderful, wonderful day.
1: Hang on a sec. Are you? Have you got hidden talents? Are you a musician by night and a cyclist by day?
0: I pretty much do everything, Mike, as you would know. Um, but yes, I've we've got I've got a couple of songs on uh, iTunes um, with uh, Hoton H O T O N, my mate from Norway who speaks Italian. We're Instagram friends, and we met. I'm at his holiday place now. And we recorded a music video today after our or well, during our ride. So yeah, basically do it all.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, coming up in today's program, we've got a very <laughs> special guest. I am, I'm serious. We've got a very special guest. Uh, We've got a Tour de France rider, a former representative of Australia at the Olympic Games, a man who's won uh, several races on the pro circuit, Patrick Yonker. And I can't wait to hear his insights on how this Tour de France is unfolding. But let's talk about the Tour and what's happened over the last 48 hours. i tell you what, Jonas Vingergaard has uh, captured the imagination of the Tour and um, he's capturing the imagination of those watching him. But I tell you what, as far as Pogacar is concerned, uh, the uh, Slo- Slovenian cannot shake the man. What I saw yesterday on Alp Duez was quite incredible. Pog- Pogacar tried to shake the Great Dane three times, twice on the, uh, on the slopes and uh, once at the finish line. But he couldn't do it. Tills, what did you make of, first of all, yesterday's big showdown? Yeah, I
2: think it, it, it. I think we had the grand final the day before, so uh, I think yesterday, um Yesterday, what we really saw was Yumbo Visma uh, control the race. You know, it was incredible that they hit out with their entire team. Um, and when you look at the Yumbo team, there's so many riders in that team that on their own they could win on that. Um, you know, their are incredible cyclists individually. So I think we saw Jumbo's dominance yesterday. We saw incredible descending from Ton Pitcock. Like it's it's wild to think that on a stage like after Wes where the biggest topic was how well... Tom Pitcock descended. Uh, he's a world champion uh, mountain biker or gold medalist, And and so he really showed that for yesterday. But I think it was more about the people oh, yesterday. You well, were there, Mike. How was um, it on know, the ground? You know, I
1: normally sit in a production truck. I uh, have done so over the last 26 years um, in the confines of four walls, watching the images, just like you do at home, uh, wherever you're watching around the world. But uh, on, on my first occasion on the mountain, I was in the little village of Huez which is about four kilometres down from the bottom. Uh, sorry, down from the top. And I was there with the Danes. Uh, I was there with the Norwegian, the Germans, the Dutch. And uh, the atmosphere was just amazing. And to see literally, I would say 50,000 uh, cyclists, recreational, elite, uh, you name it, people from all walks of life, uh, from different backgrounds, fat and fit, uh, climbing that mountain, it was just It was just cycling heaven. And I got a real buzz out of that. The sun was shining. It was quite warm. And we were all waiting in anticipation for the peloton to arrive. And a lot of us uh, were sitting there. Hours on end, just waiting and uh, enjoying the uh, the party atmosphere. But I've got to say, for the Norwegians and the Dutch, they arrived some seven days earlier, and a lot of them were laying flat on their back after a few, well, many many drinks, a week long uh, a week long party. But look, for me, it was a great moment, and to see that showdown between uh, Vingegaard and um, and Pogacar, well, uh, it was brilliant, and to see Pidcock just hang on to that lead. From bottom to top of Alp d'Auez, well, I didn't think he could do it. 22 years of age, They're saying that he will win the grand, a Grand Tour, if not the Tour de France in the near future. But I want to get your thoughts, Hollywood. What did you make of it all? What did you think of, of Pitcock, uh, his descending skills, and uh, the showdown between number one and two?
0: Yeah, he was apparently. I think he was the younger, wi- youngest winner of Alpe d'Huez, which is impressive. But like Matilda said, the day before, the, the sort of foreplay was better than the actual deed. The day before was the big, was a big one for me. It was I was like cheering a Melbourne Cup uh, rider home. I was just up on the feet when he attacked. I couldn't believe I was seeing it. It was so exciting. But yesterday was still a great stage, and Pigcock was amazing. And it, it was I was waiting for. Pogsicard attack and he attacked, and I'm like, come on, Vindergaard, go! And he it was sticking on his wheel. I'm like, is the elastic band going to snap? And it didn't. And it calmed down. Then bang, he went again. And it was, oh, it's just, as I keep saying, like a broken record. It has been such a bloody good tour. Yeah,
1: it sure has. Look, it's uh, Saturday, July the 16th. And uh, what we saw just hours ago was uh, stage 13. Mads Peterson, the Dane. Now, he is the third Dane in the last four stages to enjoy your victory in the Tour de France. Denmark is just all over this Tour de France right now. It started in Copenhagen two weeks ago and uh, Vingegaard leads this tour and we've had uh, Magnus Court winner stage and now Mads Peterson along with Vingegaard. A breakthrough victory for the 26-year-old Dane today, stage 13, a world champion just three years ago and, uh, well, it's taken uh, a long time for... Mads-Peterson to win a stage. A great stage today, Tills.
2: Yeah, I, I got a few snippets of it, but I think, uh, again, it, they were thinking it would be a transition stage. It would be pretty cruisy, and they did over 50K an hour for the first hour. So, you know, that no, there's too many teams that haven't had a win yet. If you do not get a win at the Tour de France, uh, it's pretty much a failure and, uh, and a very expensive exercise. So, yeah, just every team was in it trying to bring back that break, but absolute kudos to Mads Pedersen. He was the very first to attack... He was the, you know, he was driving that break, and and it's not always w- easy to win as the key sprinter out of a break, just because everyone's looking at you the entire time. You have to do twice as much work. People don't want to help you get to the line, so it was it was incredible to see him come across the line. I think he was trying so hard in Copenhagen, so and I think he's just a great guy. So to see him see him get up, it's a it's a win for the people as well.
1: Hollywood, we didn't see you. We didn't we didn't talk to you the what last you think, uh, time we. Uh... Presented the Domestique. So what do you make of the showdown between one and two on the GC?
0: Oh, it's exciting. Like, I'm going for the underdog, which is guard uh, I just want a good race, and we're seeing a good race. Two top-quality riders. Duking it out with uh, Garrett Thomas, just sort of lingering back there in third, just sort of not going with the attacks, but just riding his own tempo back to the wheel. So, look, it's it's a great race, and um, what else can you say? It's just been one of the best tours in recent memory for me, that's for sure. And I like everyone else, I watch it every year, but this one has been really good, really good.
1: Well, one of the drawbacks from today's stage was the was uh, was the bad luck uh, of uh, Caleb Ewan. Um, he's been uh, hampered by uh, a bad season. He pulled out of the Giro on stage one. He's still in this race, but after receiving a big knock uh, midway through the race, uh, ending up in a barrier, um, it doesn't look good. Caleb has been fraught with with disappointment, and it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, wind the clock back some 12 months, and he was winning stages for fun. And now he doesn't get any support at all by that team, which really is surprising.
2: Yeah, they have tried to get around him, I think, particularly the last few stages uh, to get him over the climbs like someone think of the sprinters during these incredible mountain climbs how they have to pretty much suffer through the entire day and then sprint the next day is just awful but I think it's it's getting harder for Caleb just because the pressure is building and that makes it difficult to to sprint and to win and Caleb's someone that wins when he's at his happiest and he's free and he's you know at his best so it's it's going to get harder and harder I think for him to get up there.
0: Yeah I think he's uh, it's just not his Tours, some, some uh, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them, and he's just not, it's just not his year or not his tour. Look, there's really only one proper proper sprint stage left, which is the last one. I don't think you'll win that. I'd, uh, I'd probably just go home if I was him, forget about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, there's always the Walter, and he's still um, young, young I know he's, only 28. <laughs> he's only young, he's still 28 years of age. All right, you're listening to the Domestics exactly. uh, presented by Black Sheep Cycling Apparel. Let's. Uh, bring in our special guest now Patrick Yonker was a professional cyclist uh, for a number of years back in the 1990s and early 2000s he represented the Spanish team Once he also represented Woo! and uh, yes and also US Postal and that's the team that everybody wants to ask Patrick about US Postal good buddies uh. with uh, the man with the initials LA But apart from that, uh, Patrick uh, finished 12th overall in the Tour de France in 1996. So he's got credentials. He also, I think, won the Tour de Sud, correct me if I'm wrong, Paddy, and another big World Tour event uh, in the 1990s. You finished your career by winning the Tour Down Under in 2004 after crossing the finish line victorious, triumphant. You said, that's enough for me. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Patrick Yonker. Thank you, Mike.
3: That's a great intro, best intro of that
1: all year. <laughs> only for you, my mate, only for you. Now, now, I'll just cut to the chase. Sure, you rode with Onsay. Sure, you rode with Robobank. But l- we want to know about your experience at US Postal. Tell us about it.
3: Oh, you know, for me, all the teams I rode with, uh, I was fortunate enough to ride with the best teams in the world. With, I started with Peter Post and uh, um, went on to Onsay, Robobank. But definitely... Uh, spending a, a lot of time with lance armstrong u.s postal service um was that was another level um i think um you know personally i get along well with him um the way he um approached life was waking up every day as an angry man out to prove to the world that um he has to win at all costs so um you know these people um you know lance is not the only one there are a lot more athletes like him out there in the world and um they just wake up angry. They had difficult upbringing, difficult childhood. Usually, they come from broken home. And um, if you look at the history of Tour de France winners, um, you're not going to ever find a, a Tour de France winner that comes from a from a, a great family with a lot of money. They all come from difficult uh, upbringings. You know, Egan Bernal even even till still to today, um, they usually have a story to tell. And Lance's story, well, that's a very long story to tell. But um, to be honest. Um, uh, I call it the dark ages that was the dark ages of the cycling world and uh, for a decade or so um, it was very very dark and um, you know um, I always say well the guys who got second and third never complained.
1: Pat can I ask you mm. a question uh, you were part of that dark period you were part of that era what did you see and now tell us the truth what did you see behind closed doors?
3: Oh look, for me it was very disappointing. I mean, I remember you standing at the finish line often, and uh, you would recall that I um, never really wanted to talk much. Um, I didn't really want to say much. Uh, I kind of, kind of kept to myself. But I think for a, a lot of riders, uh, it was very frustrating and a very, um, you know, emotionally dark period as well. Because you know we're all working hard and we're all trying to do the best we possibly can. And um, I think um, you know, for a lot of riders during the '90s who had a hematocrit close to 50%, then it was almost like a career-ending <laughs> biological uh, part that you know, could do nothing about. But um, um, I, in hindsight, I would have done things. I would have done things differently. And um, um, but you can't really turn back time. But um, but I think overall the memories uh, are, are good, even though it was a very dark period. And you know, I think. Um, You know, there's a lot of collateral, you wouldn't say it's collateral damage, but um, I'm so happy to see the Tour de France today. And I look at the riders today and I shared the hotel with movie staff for two nights and spoke to the director. To be honest, everyone is so happy that um, they can say that today's cycling is clean. And we see that with the poch break, you know, blowing up, everyone thought "This this is what cycling needs. You know, he's human. I think the days of the mm. superhuman performances is bad for cycling. We don't want to see somebody in yellow for, for two to three weeks. We don't want to see, we don't want to see superhuman performances. That, those were the dark ages and, and, and it's been great. It's been great to watch. Really loving every day and uh, like Hollywood, I'm, I'm going for the Great Dane, but it's not over yet from <laughs> a long, 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 long shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so, um,
2: what, what's your thoughts on the tour so far, Pat? Who is uh, Vindergaard you know, going to be able to uh, hold it Jumbo all the way?
3: Bisma, which is uh, the team I used to ride for, for three years. So, uh, Rabobank evolved into Jumbo business. So I know the directors really well, I know Franz Grisch Grisha, I know all the guys really well, and um, they're just not wanting to jinx it. They've, um, you know, um, been in a situation where they thought they may potentially win the Tour de France, and um, they've it's a team that's been around for a very long time, so it'll be over 20-odd years. Um, and if you calculate Jan Raas' era before that, it's been around for a long time. And they've never won the Tour de France, and um, they know, they're probably looking at the weather report. Well, the is going to play a big role in the outcome of this year's Tour de France, because everyone knows the podge doesn't really do well in 35-degree-plus temperatures. So uh, the guys at jumbo visma are looking at the weather reports. They know that how to cam is coming. Three Pyrenees, st- three Pyrenees stages that are crucial. Yeah, but in particular, the battle on how to come will be the outcome of this year's Tour de France. Uh, jumbo visma are hoping for hot weather. The uh, Podge and uh, his boys are really hoping for some cooler, a cooler climate. But it's not over yet. The Podge is, is, is a superstar and he will go down and uh, fight. And don't forget Enos Enos have got two riders within three minutes and Aeneas don't care about the podium. They, they really don't care, they're there to win and uh, they'll be um, doing some out-of-the-ordinary um, strategies and attacks with Pipcock and and in and, and such fine form. Um, they will rather lose a podium spot and not be in the top five uh, if there's a small chance they could potentially um, crack uh, both the Great Dane and the Fodge. There's a lot of exciting stages coming up.
1: Hey, Pat, what do you make of the uh, the young guys that are dominating the world circuit right now? I mean, in your day, uh, they say you had to be in your late 20s or early 30s. You've got Egan Brunel. You've got uh, Pidcock, who won the stage yesterday. You've got Pogaccio and Vingegaard. These guys are in their early to mid-20s. What do you make of all this?
3: Yes, so, you know, I think Hollywood tapped on it a little bit earlier. What that indicates is that the sport's clean. It's like in an early 1980s, yes. right, when Laurent Fignon came along as a 22 year old so so what it's saying in my era which is the dark ages we could say the dark ages were about almost two decades of darkness where um it took a a young rider who had no chance okay and um, they had to wait until their late 20s early 30s And now we're seeing what we saw in the early 80s and we saw this in the late 60s we saw this with eddie merckx in 69 and we saw this in 82 83 with lauren Laurent um, and if you're super talented you're gifted You've got mother nature's gift of a big heart, big lungs, and you've got the mental aptitude. As a 22-year-old, you can be in the running for the Win the Tour de France, which uh, is, is completely um, telling um, the cycling world and experienced people like me who've been following cycling uh, since the 70s. Um, the, the sport is being run on uh, bread and water and some uh, mineral, uh, mm-hmm. some variety possibly. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great thing to see. So we want to see 22-year-olds win a Tour de France. Take, take your back to the era of Laurent Fignon. who won the Tour de France three times and uh, before he was 30. Hmm. So, yes, great. It's, it's really good to see. Yeah, really good to see that.
1: Hey, Pat, uh, just uh, talking about uh, what you're doing right now, you're heavily involved as a South Australian with the Tour Down Under, and you have been for many, many years. Now, the uh, course for next year's tour has been released. It's very fresh. It's very exciting. It's very different to what we've seen over the last 20-odd years. Stuart O'Grady is the new race director, and uh, he's already making an impact. Um, I think next year's tour after a three-year hiatus is going to be huge, and many people from all over Australia, all over the world, I expect will make a beeline to Adelaide. Uh, Are you as excited as I am?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I hope that all our listeners come down to Adelaide uh, to see the Tour Down Under next January. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, Stuart O'Grady, um, he's not going to follow or copy Mike Turter. Uh, Stuart O'Grady is not Mike Turter. Uh, a finish on top of um, Mount Lofty. And Mount Lofty is uh, the highest um, for the locals in Adelaide. No, Mount Lofty is one of our stomping grounds. is our biggest hill in in, uh, in uh, South That's Australia. That's for the
1: final stage as well. No more Willunga.
3: Yeah, I know there are some, when I'm, you know, I read all the, you know, um, blogs and I read people's comments and there are a lot of people um, not happy that it's not on Wollongong Hill. But I've got to remember, Alpe de Wez is not on the Tour de France every year as well. So I think what Stuart's going to do is, mm-hmm. um, you know, follow a little bit in the Tour de France footsteps. We won't have Wollongong Hill each year. Maybe every second year there'll be Wollongong Hill, just like Alpe de Wes, Mont Ventoux, those iconic kind of climbs. Uh, it'll be a special occasion every other year. But uh, to have the finish on top of uh, Mount Lofty, our highest, uh, our biggest berg in South Australia, you could say, in a very popular climb, uh, to have the finish up there um, they um, will be very spectacular. And uh, the time trial as well, that's never been done before. We've never had a time trial. They'll be using ordinary bikes. So there'll be just, there'll be no time trial bikes, and it'll be along uh, the river for sure. It'll be uh, a real great spectacle uh, to watch. I think Stuart's done a great job and also um, putting, um, you know, his, his, his stamp, uh, O'Grady's stamp on the course. And, uh, you know, I see Stuart often and I say, mate, a little bit of gravel will be nice. So hopefully we'll see a gravel <laughs> stage one day, a bit of a Roy through in Adelaide.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's, I think it's nice and fresh and tills. And I think oh, uh, the reason why it's a late start for the prologue on day one is to allow the women, the women's tour uh, uh, down under, to have its own identity for the very first time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Being a world, women's world tour event, so
1: it's a big, big, big yeah. It's yeah.
2: Tour down under's always led the way in in equal prize money, uh, equal coverage, giving the women's tour its own space. So it's fantastic that uh, it's certainly for the Australians, their absolute number one event. Uh, and so yeah, I'd hopefully be able to get there myself, but we'll we'll see. And so Pat, um, what's what? How do you think? Um, uh the rest of the few stages were
3: the transition stages in my time were stages to recover and um you know kind of try and find your legs after three brutal mountain stages there's none of that at this tour de france they don't have for us in my era we know we have a piano day piano day is an easy day you have an espresso and you relax and don't get too flustered the guys don't know that anymore there's a lot of stress now when you look at the riders and speak to the riders um, during my period of racing, we'll have times we could relax and talk and joke. Uh, they're having the first hour, opening hour of 50 kilometers per hour. And that's not unusual, 50 kilometers per hour every day, every stage. Now, looking at the stages, we've got three transition stages coming up. Looking at the weather report, it's going to be brutally hot. We're going to the hottest part of France. It's going to be absolute. The tarmac will be melting. They'll be covered with little bits of tarmac. Um, Ah, look, it was going to be aggressive all the way to Paris because so many teams, like mentioned before, so many teams have not yet succeeded. And these teams have got big million-dollar budgets and the sponsors are expecting a result. So it's just going to be on like Donkey Kong until Paris. We're not going to see any easy day.
1: Hey, Pat, I'm glad you said earlier that uh, um, you found it difficult to talk to me during your time as a professional rider in the Tour de France. I thought it was me. But it wasn't me it was you wasn't it
3: yeah 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 I, you, know, I mean, uh, you know um i wrote the tour de france when there was no tv no one in australia um, knew about the tour de france really to sbs came along and there's mike tomalaris and um you know um fresh smile and you're full of enthusiasm and uh, there'll be often times when i wasn't so enthusiastic and i was a little bit you know down and out because i knew what was going on and you know i was getting dropped by some fat sprinters from Italy who normally couldn't climb out of bed in the morning and all of a sudden is smashing up horticam at 400 watts. And, uh, you know, uh, the guys, the insiders knew what was going on, but, um, you know, for uh, you can't really go, hey, Tomo, mate, there's some bad shit going on. I can't really say that, could I, Tomo?
1: <laughs> I, was in England at the, I was in England at the time covering the uh, European Football Championships and I was summoned to cross the channel and uh, go to the town of Den Bosch where the tour started. And the first person... I spoke to, as a reporter of the Tour de France in my very first year, was Patrick Yonker. And here we are, some uh, 27 <laughs> years later almost, we're talking again for, for, for different reasons. But I remember I asked uh, your team director at the time, I can't remember who it was, uh, the Anse, uh Spaniard uh, team director, and I By said, I want to speak to the Aussie, Patrick Yonker. Sure, sure he's got NED after his name, you'd rode with a Dutch licence. But uh, he knew you were an Australian. You've got Dutch heritage, of course, and German heritage. But it took you a long time to climb down those stairs and speak to little Tomo, fresh-faced <laughs> with a microphone, who knew jack sh- about cycling.
3: Yeah, you, you had great. So what hair, took okay. you so long? I remember that you had great. I hair. did. Yeah, you had. Really, yeah, I had a mullet. We really, really, really jealous of your hair, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, you know Coming from SBS, we thought, you know, you'd be more a football journalist, but I think a lot of the Australian cyclists really appreciated your enthusiasm and love for the sport. Um, you know, cycling is a really difficult sport to come into um, uh, if you had, haven't grown up with it. And I think, uh, you know, you've adapted really, really well. And um, uh, look, you know, I think for a lot of the Aussies, there was a time where Phil Anderson was retiring. And it was kind of an era where we didn't have any Australians uh, perform at the level they are uh, today. Even though for the Aussies, you know, we've had a lot of bad like this tour with Jack Haig and, um, you know, um, uh, crashing out again. Um, but, you know, I think all I can say really is the future for Australian cycling at the Tour de France is, got, is going to be so exciting for the next five to ten years. Um, in the period I rode in, uh, that mid nineties era, the era before uh, Cadel Evans and uh, O'Grady McEwan, um, was kind of uh, yeah, like uh, uh, a little bit of a of a lull before um, all the excitement. So, um, but I'm still just very happy to have been a part of it.
0: Pat, a uh, question when when you were getting yeah, sorry, when you were getting dropped by fat sprinters up the climbs, did you ever did you ever be tempted to to get on the gear and and join, join everyone else when you're getting dropped up the hills by the sprinters. you're getting a bit depressed? Did you ever think, ah, oh, stuff it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on it?
3: Oh, uh, look, absolutely. Like, um, you know, in our world, um, you, you uh, at the Tour de France world, uh, basically we are all come from working-class families that don't have a dollar to their name. Um, you know, um, you've ne- you'll never see anyone successful at the Tour de France who comes from a wealthy family. You know, if you come from a family of millionaires, you're not going to have any success at Tour de France. You know, it will remain always a jungle. So, you know, morals and ethics and all that, we can't even spell that. We don't know what that's all about. And, um, you know, so we do absolutely everything we possibly can to succeed at whatever cost. There's rules and regulations. You look at uh, what you can take and what you can't take, and then you push it to the limits. Um, but to some people, though, and um, there's, there's several Aussies and several other people out there, it wasn't... Uh, of people um, taking uh, uh, a lot of drugs during a particular period of time because um, if your hemoglobin hematocrit is naturally at the limit of 50%, well, then you can only be sticking with your wee and Barocas because um, you're already at the Mm -hmm. limit. Where um, some people uh, biologically have a hematocrit of 38, 42, well, then it's uh, party time. But uh, uh, luckily, um, the UCI caught on quickly. And uh, to be honest, the change in cycling happened when... uh, to be honest, for all the cycling um, uh, people like myself have been around for a long time, when Cadell Evans won the Tour de France, that's really when cycling changed. It was great to have an Aussie um, uh, force that change in the world of cycling and Cadell Evans was uh, in everyone's mm. mind, the person that um, everyone who knows Cadel, uh, the first really bread and water and, and
1: natural, um, yeah, who won it all naturally. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, Pat, um, we had Dave Sanders on uh, the domestics uh, just a few nights ago. And uh, you said uh, just moments ago that Cadell Evans changed things for the better in Australian cycling. But Dave Sanders was very critical of the Australian cycling system, which has gone the other way. So it told me that uh, people like Cadell, Richie Port, and uh, the riders since Cadell's tremendous triumph have had to uh, sort of fend for themselves without the support of the authorities from our country. What does that tell you?
3: Yeah, it's true. You know, I agree with Dave Sanders and a lot of people agree. I'm sure um, um, everyone who um, at the moment is uh, in the early uh, teens or, or in the early 20s and aspire to follow in the footsteps of uh, of uh, the Tour de France, Aussie pros, there's no real pathway at the moment. So, I oh, look, I think uh, that uh, Australian cycling is just going through a difficult period at the moment and... Um, <clears throat> We've had some changes in the organisation and I think we should give these people uh, a chance, give these people a few years to hopefully um, uh, change what's going on uh, in cycling in Australia. And, uh, oh, look, you know, I, I believe, um, you know, the next few years will be... We will have a lot of success at the Tour de France. You have a look at how many riders we have at the moment who are all under the age of 30. You know, Ben O'Connor, Jai Hindley, Hay, Storer are all under 30, and especially uh, Jai is 26 years old, a potential Tour de France winner. I believe when someone like Jai uh, comes to Tour de France next year and is a serious podium contender, that it'll increase the popularity of the sport once again in Australia, and hopefully um, cycling Australia can change a few things and make uh, some better pathways for our youngsters to actually get here and race the Tour de France.
1: Yeah, totally agree with you. Look, we've got to wrap it up now, but uh, it's good to know that you remember my hair. When I grow up, I want to have hair like Hollywood. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I've lost it all, Hollywood. How do you keep your hair so beautiful?
0: <laughs> well, before we before we talk about my beautiful real. hair, I just want to know. Yeah, it's real, of course. But we definitely know we definitely know you're clean because I'm hearing reports you're getting dropped day after day on the bike style tours. Pat, you're on there. Is there any truth in this?
3: Uh, look, you know, Mike's getting better by the day. I don't
1: know what he's doing. I don't know what. I don't think we should have testing on bikes, <laughs> look, Mike's. Look, Hollywood. Oh, Hollywood! Don't look at the stats. Don't look at the stats, Hollywood. Because we're there to uh, look after our guests. We stop and start. We stop and start. Isn't That's that right, right, Pat? All right. Good night. Good night to Patrick Yonke. <laughs> Bye for now, Tills, and also to you, Hollywood. And thanks for listening, wherever you are, all over the world. Out uh, the domestics. We'll be back. Very soon. Uh, using a cycle lane around uh, what
0: like a, uh, a This is the Domestics, presented by Black Ship